There's a lot of lost people out there. You guys know that. There's a lot of people who are hurting in their hearts. Uh, they are, you know, going to hell. They're suffering in so many ways. God wants to use our lives to help them. I don't know if you have that in you. I don't know if that's the desire that you have. I pray that it, it is. I pray that you would be one of those that says, Lord, uh, you know, it's only one life, so it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And Lord, use my life to reach them. Lord, use my life to strengthen your church because they're going to use their lives to reach the lost. And, and so we're going to see that today as Jesus begins to send his disciples out and gives them more and more responsibility. In the process, what he's doing is he's training them for the day that he would depart and hand the baton off to them. And so here in Mark chapter 6, we begin reading in verse 7. It says, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them not to take, to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, or literally in the Greek language, he says, amen, amen. I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And you guys know eventually the day would come, Jesus would die and then rise from the dead, ascend into heaven. In other words, uh, the day would come when he would no longer be there physically for them. And so he taught and trained his 12 apostles. He instructed them. And we see here he even sent them on short-term missions trips as they're now being entrusted with more responsibility. You know, one of the greatest ways to learn, you know, you have to be instructed, right? You have to be shown what to do and modeled in the ministry. But another way that you learn is on-the-job training, right? I mean, what's the better, best way to learn how to swim? Just push them in, in the pool, right? You know, <laughs> sink or swim. No, you don't do that. You train them, and, and that's what the Lord's doing here, uh, on-the-job training, right? And in this, we get to glean six things from this as Jesus sends them out. Let me give you six things from this. Number one, he called them to himself. He called them to himself. Notice we read that in verse 7, and he called the 12 to himself. Let me tell you something. Before you go out, make sure you go in, right, and check in with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he will provide the marching orders for every single mission, every single moment, every single day. So before you go out, I want to encourage you to go in. And this is and it's not just a practice for special days and duties. It's a principle, really, for all of life. You know, we read in, in Mark 3, verse 14, it says, Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That's the key, really, for making an effective minister. You know, thank God for some of the seminaries that are good, some of the education and Bible colleges that are out there. Praise God. But you know what? That doesn't make a minister. What makes a minister a man of God is when he spends time with Jesus. 
And that's what we see these guys did. You know, before we answer any call to ministry, we must first answer his call to himself. This is the most important part of the ministry. As a matter of fact, we read over in Acts 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Hey, these guys didn't go to our school, and here they are so bold and effective in ministry and communication, they weren't schooled by us. And they're looking at them, they're scratching their heads, and then just they realize it comes to them, oh, they were trained by spending time with Jesus. And the same is true for us. You know, we learn this about ministry. Six things. Number one, he calls them to himself. Number two, secondly, he sends them out two by two. Notice again there in verse 7, he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two. You know, one of the things, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, in reading the various lists of the apostles in the Bible, in Luke 6, it's very clear. But when you read the lists of the apostles, you, you read them in pairs. It's Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, etc. You know, they were sent out in, in, in pairs, two by two. A few reasons immediately come to mind. All of them very practical. You know, we got to know this, and it's principles for ministry. You know, you don't go out alone. You go out uh, in pairs. Uh, number one, greater ability, right? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. You know, a very practical reason in sending them out two by two, and, you know, we see the ability is then doubled, right? I mean, and as you're walking down the road and, you know, God forbid something happens, you trip, you fall, you know, uh, there's your, your, your partner to lift you up. And I think it's not only a physical thing, I think it's a, an emotional thing, I think it's a spiritual thing where you are out there and you're hurting and we all go through it, the dips and the valleys and the struggles of life, and you have someone with you right there to pick you up. We, we see that here. There's that ability. And then, you guys know how it is. I mean, it's totally different. Even for some of you ladies, you've got to be careful. You don't go out at night. You don't go to Target or some place late at night, you know, by yourself. You know, take someone with you. There's strength in numbers. You know, there's wisdom here. We don't go out alone. You shouldn't do that. There's greater ability. There's greater credibility. Credibility. You know, two witnesses carried much more credibility. Two witnesses actually were required by Roman law. I mean, Jewish law. You read in Deuteronomy 17.6, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. You know that they had to have at least two, sometimes three witnesses, right? And so Paul referred to that in 2 Corinthians 13.1. He said, this will be the third time I am coming to you for the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses Every word shall be established. And so, you know, the guys come to Jesus. He sends them out to the various cities, and they go out two by two, and they're witnessing, hey, man, this Jesus, you should see the miracles he does. The blind see, the lame walk, etc. And, and, and so it's not just one guy, it's two. Oh, yeah, what he's saying is true. 
What he did for me is true. He did it for you too. There's a, and there's a, there's a greater credibility when you have two. Another reason, not just ability or credibility, but then thirdly is accountability. Accountability. You, know, you don't go out. I don't go out on a missions trip. I don't go out on a speaking engagement on my own. Um, many a man and even many a minister have gone out by themselves and ended up going out on their wife because they didn't have that accountability. But if you have a Christian keeping you company, then you can keep each other accountable. You know, when you're walking down, whatever it is, you could be in this you know, strange place. For us, we go to Cambodia. You know, you walk down the streets of Cambodia and there are women for sale lining up themselves on the streets everywhere. So you go by yourself, in a split second, you might get caught. But you go with a brother, and I tell you what, man, it gives you strength. And because he's there, thank God for that, you're not looking, you're not lusting, you're not lingering around some lady, and you're not going to end up lying with her. Why? Because you had that accountability. Don't ever go out on your own. You know, I remember reading about Billy Graham early on in the ministry when God began to bless the ministry. In 1948, they came up with what was called the, the Modesto Manifesto. And they instituted four guidelines to keep them in line and on track as evangelists because they saw how so many had fallen by the wayside. You know, one was accountability. They would make sure that the books were open. Number two, they would work with local churches because a lot of the evangelists didn't do that. Number three, they would not exaggerate the numbers. You know how that is. And I tell you, there was 3,000 people and there's only like 1,000, you know, and, and, and then number four, and this is the one that we're talking about here. They made a commitment never to be alone in a room with a woman. That was their modesto manifesto. And Billy Graham is a man of integrity. And we see him today, unlike so many, who has stayed the course. They say 40% of all married men will fall into adultery. How we need that accountability, huh? And I was even reading about Kurt Cameron. He's a pretty cool Christian, man. He loves the Lord. He loves his wife. And you guys know about him. Any of you guys remember that show, uh, Growing Pains? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I don't remember for sure. But I know um, he's uh, still used by the Lord. He has a conviction as an actor in Hollywood not to be photographed alone with a woman. And I like that. Because you know what they do with those photographs, huh? They put them on National Enquirer or something. And there's just real, real wisdom. You know, and looking at this, we learn... The, the accountability process, is God uses it. You know, when we're the principles here, number one, he called them to himself. And number two, he sent them out two by two. Number three, we see here, he gave them power over unclean spirits. Verse seven. You know, we read the same thing as well as the purpose in Matthew 10. It says, and when he had called his 12 to himself, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out. And so this is delegated power over the demonic realm. It's not inherent within them, but it was given to them by God. You know, and, and they would need it, and, and we need it. You know, I don't know if you have anyone in your life possessed by the enemy, oppressed by the enemy. You know, they got a stranglehold, they got a foothold. You know, one of the things that we got to realize is we are wrestling with demons. 
We are wrestling with them, you know? I mean, I wish I could go up to a demon and just, boom, hit him so he's knocked out, you know? And sometimes God allows us to do that, you know, just like a split second, it's over. But for those of you who know anything about wrestling, man, it takes a little time sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight, you know? And I'm not talking necessarily about someone who's possessed. I'm talking about somebody who is oppressed, somebody where the enemy has a stranglehold on that individual, and you're wrestling with them. You know, I used to wrestle in high school, and it is, ex- it is exhausting, and it's a process. But I know as I continue to fight, and I just search my heart, and I pray, and I fast, and I try to strengthen myself and receive his power for them and their benefit, I know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I know this promise that, you know, wherever God gives a responsibility, he will give an ability. Wherever there's a commandment, there's an enablement. And you guys got to know that, not just for pastors, but for all of us here, that he will give us power over demons. They are no match for God. And we got to know that. You know, we know we read in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Don't forget that, because what happens so many times is we forget that, and we think that the fight is against that person. And it's not against that person. It's against principalities. And so in looking at this, we see the things that are important for ministry, how He called them to himself. He sent them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits. And then number four, it says he commanded them to take nothing for the journey. Look again there in verse eight. You know, he he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Jesus wants them to learn by experience that where God guides, God provides. That if it's God's will, it's God's bill. You know, a lot of us here, we're like, well, I heard Pastor Chuck say that, you know, and I believe it, and maybe you do a little bit, but not until you learn it and live it through experience sometimes. Will you really understand that? You know, Jesus said, you don't need to take any money, nothing extra, not even a bag where you might carry extra clothes or shoes or an extra staff or, you know, some say this was a bag to collect donations. We're not 100% sure about that. Lord, well, can I take a few snacks? No, no, I don't want you to take anything. God will provide for you. And the people, he says, need to learn how to give and support the ministry. He said in Matthew 10, 9 through 10, the same context, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. You know, yesterday the guys came in, you know, and they're just working hard out there. I thank God for those guys who are doing that you know, harvest festival stuff, you know, and when it's time to eat, you know, I wish we could even feed them even better, but yeah, absolutely, we'll get them some pizza and stuff like that, you know. I mean, it's, it definitely, we see that, it's biblical. And, and so the Lord's trying to teach them that he would provide. He usually uses people to do that, but ultimately we have to make sure that we know it's God who provides. And they would learn through experience to trust God 
for everything. And that's why sometimes we go through financial struggles individually or sometimes even you know, congregationally. God will allow us to go through things and we will learn in the lessons of his word as well as the experiences of, his, of life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, where the Bible says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I know some of you here, you know what I'm talking about because you've been through the hard times. You know, I know for me, I mean, I could, I don't probably haven't gone through some of the things you have gone through, but I remember, you know, not having health insurance provided through my employer for who knows how long, but I'm still alive. You know, I'm still alive. I think I even gained weight during that time, you know. I mean, I remember I took a huge pay cut entering into the ministry, didn't get a raise for over seven years, and yet I've always had what I've needed. Always, right? How? By God. He's our provider. He's the one who is Jehovah Jireh. And many of us have learned that by living that. And so that's what the Lord is going to take them through. You know, real quick, does that mean that we don't take these things with us nowadays? Is it a mandate for ministers all the time? Not necessarily, um, because uh, there's a passage over in Luke 22, and verse 35 through 36. Jesus said, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And so they said nothing. And so he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one, right? So what's Jesus saying? Time's different? No, you're different. Now you can pack, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, now you can go ahead and take some bread and save some money and do those things because you now know that I am the provider. And those are the lessons that we learn in the ministry. You know, Lenski said the orders which Jesus issues are to teach the apostles absolute dependence upon their Lord who sends them out. After this lesson has once been thoroughly learned, they would be ready for their worldwide mission so that whether they had something with them or not, their dependence on the Lord would be the same. And so Jesus called them to himself. He sent them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for their journey. And then number five, he commanded contentment in lodging. Look at verse 10. And, and he said to them, in whatever house you enter, uh, stay there till you depart from that place. Now in those days, hospitality was huge. If you were a traveler, people would open up their homes to you. As a matter of fact, Barclay even said, hospitality was a sacred duty in the East. When a stranger entered a village, it was not his duty to search for hospitality. It was the duty of the village to offer it. So when you went into a city, you would kind of hang out there in the open square and someone would see you and they'd say, hey, I don't recognize you. Are you from around here? No, I'm just passing through. Hey, do you need a place to stay? And that's the way it would work back then. Hospitality was huge. And so you go to the city, someone says, hey, you can come to my house if you like. I have a spare room. And so you go to their house, right? And, and Jesus is, is training them, he's teaching them that when they do go into that house, don't look for upgrades, if you know what I'm talking about, you know? He says, stay in one place with one family, you know? 
And you gotta have, if someone else comes around and they have a, a fancier place and they offer free Wi-Fi, homemade tortillas and salsa and all that stuff, he says, no, stay where you are, stay put, don't change locations. You know, don't be that way. Stay there in that original place until it's time to leave the city. And, and what he's giving to them is a principle that as ministers, we're always to have the mentality of a grateful servant and not a pampered guest. See, that's our heart. And, that, and that's what Jesus teaches. You know, he calls them to himself. He sent them out two by two. He gave them power over demons. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey so that they would learn to depend on him. He instructed them on lodging. And then the last thing we see, the sixth thing, is he instructed them on what to do if any did not welcome or receive their message. Again, notice there in verse 11, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so you go out and you preach the gospel. You say, hey, Jesus loves you. You're a sinner. That's the bad news. The good news is that he died for you on the cross and he rose again and he wants to take you to heaven. What do you say, man? You want to give your life to Christ? You want to surrender? And what ends up happening is when you give that message, then you will make friends and you will make foes. Some will show hospitality. Some will, some will show hostility, right? Some will accept it. Most will reject it. And so the Lord says, what do you do if they're not receptive? Well, this is what I want you to do. And this is kind of a trip. You know, you think about it. I want you to shake the very dust off your feet as you leave that city as a testimony against them. You know, the rabbinic law said that the dust of a Gentile country was defiled and that when a man entered Palestine from another country, he must shake off every particle of the dust of the unclean land. See, and not necessarily, you know, Jewish-Gentile thing. It's a believer-non-believer thing, right? And the primary purpose is the non-believer needs to know that they will be judged. You know, it's not that they reject your message. Who cares about that? It's not a personal thing. It's like, well, I told you the truth and you don't like me. Who cares about that? That's not what it's about, right? It's that the people need to know the, the consequences in rejecting the truth. I mean, there's a sentence for that city. And there's a sentence for the citizens of that city who reject Christ. You know, the, the prophets of God were coming in peace. We come in peace, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus said within the same context in Matthew 10, in verse 13, he said, if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, then let your peace return to you. See, God was offering peace. And how do we get peace? Anybody know? Grace, right? There's Siamese twins within the Bible, grace and peace, right? Well, how do you get grace? Jesus. That's how you get grace, right? And, and that's what we need to know, and that's what they need to know. If they reject Jesus, they get no grace, and they get no peace. And so we need to warn them. He says it would be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, if you think about it, they suffered a rain of fire. These people would suffer a lake of fire, right? That's what the Bible says. For those who don't receive the Lord, 
Revelation 20, verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so that's what the Lord says. That's what I want you to do when you go out. This is how I want you to minister. And so uh, they went out. Look what it says in verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. When the Lord would look at the people, you know, he would just look out at all the people. The Bible says he saw them weary and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. He saw all the, the lost and lonely people with hearts that were hurting and aching inside. And he was brokenhearted, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion for them. And so what does he do, man? I mean, if you think about it, God, if he wanted to, he could have written the gospel in the skies. He could have sent the angels to send the message, and I think in one sense they probably do a better job. But no, he has chosen to send us. Why? People just like you and me, because we've experienced the love and the grace of God. God wants to use our life to reach them. I don't know about you, but me. There's nothing greater than that. Do you love God? Don't you love people? Don't you want to be used by him to reach them? And so he sends them out. He trains them and he teaches them on how to do ministry. And we learn the same thing as we read it this morning. And the cool thing is, as, as, as we see their response, we, we get encouraged. Number one, four things that they did, they went. <laughs> they went out. You know, not everyone who is sent by our Savior necessarily falls through. You know, in one sense, I want you guys to know that we're all sent. We're all sent. You know, Matthew 21, it says in verse 28, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, I, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. And then he came to the second and said, likewise, and the son said, I go, but he did not go. He said, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. You know, our father is telling us all to go. And it doesn't matter if you say you're going to go. The question is, will you go? These guys, they, they went. Sometimes God says go, and some say no. Some say wait. Some say later. God says now. Well, let me do a couple of things first. You know, there in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, first let me bury my father. And what that meant is, I'm going to wait for him to die. Then I'll go. And God says, it's not time to wait. It's time to go. And we put on, you know, the back burner. We, we delay our discipleship. You know, they, they went out. Secondly, they preached that people should repent. You know, and, and that's the message. It's important to remember that the apostles were not the cooks of the meal. They were the mere delivery boys. They were the waiters, right? And they were the messengers of the master. And that's all we are. We don't manufacture our own message. We're not manufacturers. We're just distributors. This is the message that God has given. Today, we're here in Mark. When you go out, this is the gospel. So simple. 
You know, you're, you're a sinner and you need a savior. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God will give power to that simple message. You know, within this context, in Luke 9, verse 2, we read that Jesus sent them to preach the kingdom of God. And then we read in Luke 9, 6, so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. You know, and that gospel is just the good news. We go out and we tell people that there is forgiveness, that there is life forever, and it's free. And we go out and we share. You know, the other day I was at the DMV and I saw a couple of JWs, Jehovah Witnesses there, and they're there with their tables. And the Lord said, go talk to them. And I said, Lord, not now. (laughs) And the Lord said, I have given you so much and you're going to hold it in? And I was just so grateful that I went and I talked. And I tell you what, man, they don't know what they're talking about. The guy's all telling me, well, you can never really know if you're saved. And he took five minutes to say that. And then he took another five minutes to say that it's salvation by works. And so I I told him, well, if you can never know that you're saved, why does the Bible say these things are written that you may know you have eternal life? And the guy just looked at me, and then the other guy started talking, man. I mean, you guys have the truth. You are taught well. You have studied the scriptures. Why do we hold it in? You know, they, they went out and they preached the gospel, and part of that message was that people should repent. And that was the message throughout the Bible. John the Baptist preached that message. Jesus, Peter, Paul, you know, the scriptures say that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? I mean, to repent of our sins, uh, to repent of our unbelief, the Greek word, It means to change one's mind for better, making things right with God from the heart by being willing to let go of our past sins, even to the point of hating them. You know, there's a a camp over there in Riverside. It's for those who are struggling with drugs and, you know, wanting to give them that life. I love the name of the camp. It's called U-Turn for Christ, where you do a 180, right? That's what repentance is. Barclay said, repentance means a change of heart and a change of action. It's bound to hurt, for it involves the bitter realization that the way we were following is wrong, and it's bound to disturb because it means a complete reversal of life. So the road that you're on without Christ is wrong. And what you need to do is change everything. That might hurt, but it's worth it because it leads to life. I mean, this is not a, a playground. This is a battleground. This is not, you know, us playing church and kind of making ourselves feel good because we went on, you know, Sunday morning and now we can go and do whatever we want. I mean, this is life and death. This is heaven and hell. This is a decision that every single person needs to make for themselves. Only you can. And then you guys, I know a lot of you here are saved, and you go out and you share that with people. You know, I get so blessed when I talk to people who are talking to others who would have never heard the gospel from me, but they'll listen to you, and you have an audience with them, and you're in school with them, and you work with them, and then they're your extended family, and God brings them into your life, and there are divine appointments, and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you share the love of Christ with them. 
You're always knocking on doors, looking for opportunities. God, send someone my way so I can tell them about you. Someone who's hurting, someone who's dying, someone who's right, someone who's ready. That's why I live. And so they went out and they, and they preached and they didn't water it down. They said, if you really want to receive Christ, you've got to let go of that stuff. He'll help you with it. But you have to have it in your heart to let go of that sexual sin, to let go of the drug addiction, to let go of that pride or that religion, and to really come to Christ. You know, I, I was reading through this, and I, and I stumbled uh, across a novel, and I guess later it was uh, made into a movie. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I think it's called Quo Vadis, or Quo Vadi. I'm not sure. It was written by a Polish author, and it was translated into more than 50 languages. It was a great book that he wrote, instrumental in him winning the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1950. But it tells of a, of a Roman soldier who falls in love with a Christian gal who will have nothing to do with him because he's not a Christian. And so, you know, you follow the story, and we were even watching the movie last night, and it is, it's really fascinating because the, the author studied Roman history, uh, and this is a great movie. And so it's really cool because he, this Roman soldier is pursuing this girl, and in the process, he follows her to a place where Peter is preaching. And he listens to Peter share the sermon, and Peter talks about repentance. And so the novel, the way that it puts it is brilliant. He, it, the novel says that when he heard the message of repentance, it says that he felt that if he wished to follow that teaching, he would have to place on a burning pile all his old thoughts and habit and character and his whole nature up to that moment, and he would have to burn them into ashes and then fill himself with a life that's altogether different, an entirely new soul. And the author went on to say, that is repentance. Will you forsake all and you follow him? You know, the Bible says in Acts 20, verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We say no to sin. You say goodbye to sin and you cling to Christ and surrender those things to your Savior. This is a fundamental in the faith. The Bible speaks about this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. And so when they went out, they, they did what Jesus told them to do. I mean, they went, they preached repentance. Look what else they did. It says in verse 13, and they cast out many demons. And then fourthly, they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. You know, and looking at that ministry and just really seeing this whole thing unfold, going out, you know, preaching the gospel, giving the message, casting out demons, healing the sick. I tell you what, it reminds me of someone else, someone else's ministry. Who, who, who is it? It's Jesus' ministry, huh? That's exactly what Jesus did, right? I mean, the disciples of Christ were following his example. They were mimicking his model of ministry, and they were doing it with his power. Can you imagine how awesome that must have been? 
Imagine, I don't know, you just think of any of it. You go down to whatever, Five Points. You go down to Valley and Garvey or whatever. You go over to, you know, Arcadia, Balm Park, whatever. You go to some city and you just, you know, you get there. You start preaching this message of repentance. You start casting out demons and you start healing the sick. I mean, how beautiful that the people are blessed because God has found a willing vessel. You see, and that's exactly how it works. You know, so beautiful to see the people blessed. And all of this is a lesson for all of us. You know, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, no, not me, just the pastors or missionaries. And no, it's for all of us. Somehow, one way or another, we're all sent. It's just to different people or places. That's the only difference. I get to preach here. Sometimes I get to do different things. I get to hit the streets every once in a while. And I have people in my family. We all have the people that God wants us to share with. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, 20, Go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And just in case you are here thinking that you can't do this, he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We just have to have eyes to evangelize and nothing else. And like I said earlier, if God wanted to, he could speak through angels. He could reach out to all the lost and broken people of the world by writing it in the sky. No, he's chosen to use human vessels. The Bible describes us as jars of clay, you know, clay pots, so that he gets the glory and so that people come to Christ. You know, hopefully we take to heart the principles found here in this section of Scripture because I tell you what, man, there's a lot, of, a lot of cool things I think that we can glean. But one last thing. How many of you here like Bible trivia? Just out of curiosity. Okay, so when you do, you know, you look at their ministry and you're like, man, that's, that's Jesus' ministry. That's the same thing Jesus did, except one thing. And some of you may know this, uh, others maybe not. Look again in verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. What's different? What's different? Anointing with oil. Jesus never did that. He never anointed people with oil. It's interesting, too, in the book of Acts, you don't see it there either. They never anointed people with oil. But it does eventually become a church practice, and it was something that they did in this specific missions trip. And so, you know, in looking at that, you kind of wonder, well, well, why? Why did they anoint with oil? And, and, and let me just share with you in closing two things. Uh, one, some say the oil is symbolic of medicine. And you know, thank God for the way that God has given us doctors and physicians and medication. And you know, we pray over people and then we, we tell them, hey, go to the doctors. Because some guys are like, well, I don't want to go to the doctor. No, go to the doctors, silly. You know, I mean, you know, take care of your body and, and stuff like that, you know. And so some say the oil is, is, is representative of that, and I, and I think there is a, a little bit of a truth to that. But primarily, you guys know, what's the oil symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and when Jesus left, what did he do? He gave us the Holy Spirit. He said, I got to go because when I go, I'm going to send someone to you that will never leave you and he's going to live inside of you. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Well, someone will say, well, why didn't they anoint with oil? Well, it's not in the book of Acts. Yes, it is. The whole book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. And as we close today, the Lord really laid it on my heart. And I, and I don't know how you guys feel about this because the Bible does say in James 5.14, is any among you sick? And there are some of you here that you're, you're sick and you're suffering from things physically. It says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it talks about how the prayer of faith ends up healing that person. I believe that today God wants to heal somebody. God wants to heal us. I believe that today God wants to save us. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, he wants to save you. If you're here today and you've drifted away from God, he wants to bring you back. If you're here today and there's something demonic going on, in your life, and you know, and you know, and God has shown you it is the stronghold of the devil, then God wants to help you today. And what does he want to do? He wants to bring the power of the Holy Spirit into your life.